Hi, and thanks for listening to a little more conversation. I'm Ben O'Hara Byrne. With the Canadian men's soccer team on the verge of qualifying for the 2022 World Cup, we look back at the only other men's team to have played on soccer's biggest stage back in Mexico in 1986 with the player whose goal got them there. We catch up with Canada's queen of R&B, Julie Black, to talk about her first new single in a decade and about Black History Month. But first, we speak to a small business owner in Ottawa about the negative impact the ongoing protests there are having on her. Not only does the blockade in Ottawa show no signs of ending tonight, police are warning of more vehicles arriving to join over the weekend. Where will this end? Here's protest organizer and fundraiser Tamara Leach explaining how they see things wrapping up. Let me assure the people of Ottawa that we have no intent to stay one day longer than necessary. Our departure will be based on the Prime Minister doing what is right, ending all mandates and restrictions on our freedoms. Okay, so that's not going to happen. We already know that. It's pretty obvious the federal government is going to stick to its guns as well. So again, how does this end? Protesters are still there. Apparently more are on the way. Yesterday, Ottawa police said they were may not be a policing solution to all this and suggested maybe military assistance, amongst other ideas, might be needed. Well, today the Prime Minister said that is not in the cards, at least not for now. One has to be very, very cautious before deploying military in uh, in situations uh, engaging uh, Canadians. Uh, it is not something that anyone should enter in likely, uh, uh, lightly. Uh, but uh, as of now, there have been no requests, and uh, and that is not uh, in the cards right now. All right, so we head into a second weekend of this. Uh, those who live and own businesses in the immediate area around Parliament Hill uh, and beyond have been forced to close, some subjected to abuse when they walk down their own streets. The Prime Minister even talked about that today. And to put it mildly, a lot of them are fed up and want authorities to do something about it, at least more than they're doing already. Joining me now from Ottawa is one of them, small business owner Robin Sege. Robin, thanks so much for being here tonight. Thank you. I know just from looking at photos of where you are, you are very close to Parliament Hill. Um, how close? Um, actually, I'm I'm in the Victoria Building, which is right across the street from West Block. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm actually just on the side of the building in the basement. And uh, so the trucker convoy is about, I'd say probably about 45 feet, maybe not even from the... Uh, uh, no, not even. I would say probably about thirty feet from the uh, from the from the windows of my barber shop, and uh, of course the steps of the West Block, which is where the House of Commons sits right now, is uh, is on the other side of the middle of Wellington Street. So, in the middle of Wellington Street, between myself and the front doors of West Block, there's a giant fire pit. Uh, a lot of garbage, um, garbage bags piled everywhere. It's 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 a very disturbing scene. What did you think when you read that this was going to happen? When they were on their way, did you think it would wind up like this? Uh, yeah, actually, I did. I had, believe it or not, I saw this coming from the beginning. Uh, I've been down there. I've owned the business now for just over a year, but I've been working down there for four years now, and. Um, I've never seen anything like this, but yet I've seen a lot of protests. So in, you know, with that being said, having seen a lot of protests, I always know that there's always those crazies and the radicals and the hangers on. 
that that join up with these protesters because they have their own cause. So it always turns into um, like a circus. So and under normal circumstances, of course, they don't allow vehicles. Uh, they do so- allow sometimes vehicles just to drive past. But never, ever have I ever seen anything like this. So what's the impact been? I imagine you've been closed, obviously. Uh, I've been closed since Friday, yes. Uh, The impact has been substantial. I obviously rely on the downtown core and other business owners, the parliamentary core, and, uh, you know, and the people that work for the MPs, the MPs themselves. I rely on quite a few people for my clientele, and all of those people under normal circumstances, would be coming into the salon, like the barbershop right now, and I would be making money. But because of the convoy, uh, nothing. There's nothing. We can't even get into downtown Ottawa by car. You haven't even been to your business? I went to my business today. That was the only, and I had to walk in from Hull. I live on. I live in Gatineau, just over the bridge from Ottawa on the Quebec side and I got as far as Hull and then I had to walk in from Hull. So when I walked in this morning, I walked across the Alexandra bridge, which is, uh, you know, a suspension bridge that is between, uh, is between yep. Hull, uh, the war is between the, the, the museum and, and the other, the right. art museum, whatever it is in Ottawa. Anyway. So you walk, you walk, you walk to the, walk to the salon in other words. Yeah. So I walked to the barbershop and I mean, I had to walk down Wellington Street past all of the trucks and uh, the horn started blaring uh, right before 8 a.m. And there was bags of garbage tied to the fences all over in front of Parliament Hill, all down. I was getting told to take my mask off, um, that I'm free now. And uh, I have emphysema and I'm three times vaccinated and highly petrified of COVID. So uh, I don't feel like I'm free as long as COVID is still here. So I don't... What, what, uh, what, do, you, what do you make of the poli- of politicians supporting the protests? And do, and do you cut any of their hair? <laughs> what I will you tell them next time you politicians see them? hair, but I haven't seen any of my clients in particular. So okay. not that I've seen anybody on the... On the uh, on TV or that I've heard so far, any of my clients. So I'm quite happy about that. What do you make of the other ones out there supporting them? The ones that are supporting them, I'm, unless they're doing it to try and appease them in some way, shape or form, I don't know, but I really don't think that this should be being supported. I got to work this morning and there's uh, a sticker stuck to my window of Mr. Trudeau dressed in an Adolf Hitler uniform and it said uh, wanted for crimes against humanity and these kinds of things. And I have my barbershop in the oldest heritage building in Ottawa. So I was very, very upset to see Nazi hate propaganda more or less uh, stuck to my building. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Would you like, do you think police could be doing more or, or, or do you think they're in a no win here? Well, I happen to know that Wellington Street and Parliament Hill are under federal jurisdiction. Right. So the small issue there being, of course, is that Ottawa police can more or less keep the peace or whatever it is that they're doing down there at the moment. 
And, uh, you know, I think they're probably, being that it's federal property, they're going to have to obviously ask for federal help. So I don't know if that's going to come in the way of the RCMP. I know Parliamentary Protective Services, that is their jurisdiction as well. So uh, between Parliamentary Protective Services, uh, RCMP, and maybe even perhaps the military at this point, I don't know, but something has to happen. I know tonight they've announced more RCMP are coming in. The city of Ottawa asked and they're going to get them. Um, Are you going to be able to survive? I mean, mean, we've had COVID. Are you going to be able to survive this as a business? I mean, this is not just down to what the protests are, but I mean, how much more has this hurt? Yeah. Well, uh, first off, I, I mean, I've managed to, to survive COVID at this point. And uh, in Ontario, at I'm not sure exactly what point, but when the vaccine passport came out in Ontario, all of a sudden barbershops were deemed an essential service. So since then, uh, before then, I didn't get any government funding at all. And I, I still don't get government funding. But uh, since then, obviously, I've been able to be open. So under normal COVID circumstances, as normal as they are, I would be open at this point right now. I would not tonight, obviously, but I would be open during the day, Monday to Friday. And, and I would be making right very up. good money right now. So this is going to impact me substantially. Yeah, because Parliament was just reopening, right? So although they're not all there, yeah. you expect a few haircuts uh, to be... A, exactly, uh, and it's Sing- not just from the parliamentarians, obviously, the uh, the staff, their, their staffers. Right. Uh, the people that work around Parliament, the maintenance crew, the the uh, you know Parliamentary Protective Services, the Senate, all these people have clients from all these places, Public Works and Government Services Canada, and you know Public Services and Procurement Canada, the maintenance right. people, people that work in the businesses, like it's it's crazy. I am losing insane amounts of money right now. Robin Sege, I wish you the best of luck. I hope you get to reopen soon. And thank you for being here tonight. Oh, thank you so much for for listening in. And uh, I really hope that we can get this situation cleaned up soon. I hope you've been paying attention because this is a pretty exciting time in Canadian men's soccer for just the second time. The Maple Leaf may very well be on display at what is called the most popular sporting event in the world. After a 2-0 win in El Salvador last night, Canada's men's soccer team remain undefeated in qualification, which is amazing in of itself. On top of the standings, equally amazing ahead of the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, Old rivals, often winners, and one win away from booking a trip to Qatar 2022. Well, the World Cup dream brings back a lot of memories for my next guest. In 1985, George Pecos scored the goal against a favoured Honduran side that sent Canada to our one and only World Cup, 1986, in Mexico. Carl Valentine to take it. Swings it in. Bridge gets ahead on it. There's the shot. They score! George Pecos! And that's the goal that Canada needed. The Honduran side going on block to the linesman at the far side. Complaining about an infraction, but the referee and the linesman waving them off. The goal stands. Just look at it. Bridge gets his head to the ball. It bounces kindly to Pegasus, and he sticks it right in the back of the net. An unlikely hero giving this country an unlikely and lone trip to soccer's greatest stage. Well, 
You heard his name called in that play-by-play back from 1985 in a windy, tiny little St. John's soccer pitch. George Pecos joins me now from Victoria. George, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you're making me cry with that introduction there. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was going to say, does that bring back some memories? Oh, yeah. Tears all the time. To tell you the truth, whenever I see that, I always kind of melt up a bit. <laughs> uh, that's, that's great. I was uh, I was just watching it again today, obviously. It, it was a great goal. It was a great goal. I wanted to start by asking, I know you were watching this current squad last night in uh, in El Salvador. What do you make of this Canadian team? Oh my God, where can you start? It's, 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 they've been just so fantastic. You know, uh, John, uh, Coach Herdman's got him working whatever he wants. I, I think John's hardest uh, uh, job is to get a starting 11. They, they have so many quality players. And, uh, you know, I don't think any, anybody can stop them. I think they're, They'll go undefeated in, in, into the World Cup, and then and then show the rest of the world that uh, hey, Canada is not a not a hockey country <laughs> either. It's it's soccer all the way now. Yeah, well, take me back to that to 1985 because that I mean I remember us playing in the World Cup. I don't remember us qualifying, um, but that was quite the qualifying run. And uh, you know we had a pretty good team a quite of a golden generation at the time but but it was a very different game back then what was on the line when you walked onto that field in St. John's and how did you end up in St. John's well everything was 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 kind of kind of on the line we knew that um, that that we couldn't lose uh, you know a tie was going to going to get us get get us through you know so you know training uh, the training was really good lots of spirit you know lots of uh, raw 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 which uh, which we needed you know we we were really real uh, team uh, team sport you know so so everybody w- knew what they had to do and I, and I was fortunate after Playing in Tegucigalpa, scoring that goal, I got to I got to start the game in in St. John's in in midfield. So I was even <laughs> I was you know sky sky high. That's right, because you did score that goal in Honduras, which was an unexpected. We we you know even now we almost never win in Honduras. Um, but but tell me about being in St. John's because that's a story in in of itself. I think over a lot of time. Uh, there'd been complaints that Canada didn't really, we didn't really use our home field advantage the way other countries did. And that was a day where we certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, the Hondurans come, come in wearing, wearing gloves and turtlenecks and stuff. And of course, you know, we're, we're used to, used to that kind of, kind of weather, you know, they were complaining about the pitch. They were complaining about this and that. One of the funny things is that they had 300 uh, Honduran fans, uh, uh, were coming to the game, but they went to St. John, Nova Scotia, and never did make the game in St. John, Newfoundland. <laughs> yeah, and they wound up in New Brunswick. That was yeah, that was a good one. And wasn't it? It was tiny. I mean, I've seen pictures of it. That looks more like a park than a than a than a full fledged stadium. Yeah, they just kind of kind of threw a bunch of bleachers around, you know. And uh, I I can't remember the size of the crowd there, but but it sounded like there was you know. 10 15,000 there anyways uh, uh, they were just just tremendous and cheered us on for everything and then uh, you know once once the dust settled and and we were we won the game you know we're running around the field with the flag you know and everyone following you know, it was it was just unbelievable 
I'm speaking with George Pecos, a member of Canada's 1986 World Cup team, about scoring the goal that got us to that World Cup back in uh, 1985 in St. John's, Newfoundland, against Honduras. People may not know your story, but you were 33 at the time, and you actually had a full time. Like you had another, you had a career. You weren't you weren't getting paid. You know, you weren't making 400,000 euro a week as maybe <laughs> some national team players in other countries might be making now. Well, it's a it's a funny story because when I got cut from the third round and then I got called called back and came to play for Canada, everybody forgets that 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 I had to go ask ask my boss Hen, Henry Bertram at that time if I could take time off to go play for Team Canada. <laughs> and he, what were you and doing? He just told me that take as much time as you want. You never get an opportunity again. So so I ended up taking as much time off, uh, you know, and, and that and. Uh, and I was the only one that actually had a had a steady job. I was working for the city of Victoria Waterworks Department there. And, yeah, you've been doing uh, that for years, right? It was all over. I, you know, I went back to work. <laughs> you you did that for years, and then and then you did it again for years. You worked for the city of Victoria. Thirty, yeah, thirty, uh, thirty three years. I ended up working working for the city of Victoria. Yeah, with your lucky number, lucky number 13 as well. So tell me about the goal, because we just heard it. Uh, it was an opportunistic goal. I think, I think you have a, certainly had a nose for the net, but mm-hmm. to just walk, walk us through how that, how that ball fell to you. And then what, what your feel, what you felt once you watched it go in. Well, we, we always worked on, on a lot of set, uh, set pieces. Tony, Tony was a, was a believer, you know, you, if, if you can get these one, one or two chances, you can end up in the net, you know, so, so we worked a lot on, on, on corners and near post corners and, and Ian, Ian was coming in on near post and, and kind of tried to flick it on and it kind of fell, fell down for me. And my job was to, you know, sit just on top of that six yard box there, anything dropping down to end up putting in the, in the net. And, and sure enough, the Carl kicked one over, Bridgie got a piece of it, came down to me and I give her all, all I had. And it ended up uh, off the keeper and in the goal. It was brilliant. Yeah, it must've been, I mean, you still remember it. You still remember every moment of it, right? You don't have to see that <laughs> video again. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, uh, I haven't seen it for, uh, you know, for quite a while, but um, but uh, I've got it on VHS. It's it, it's pretty funny to what you know to watch it on that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was back when. Well, with the current edition of Team Canada's men's soccer team on the verge of qualifying for the World Cup, I'm speaking with George Pecos, a member of Canada's 1986 World Cup team, the only other <clears throat> men's team to make it. And George is the one who scored the goal to take us there. So we've been reminiscing a bit about uh, that goal in 1985 in St. John's. I realized it was your teammates who, who used to sing the Guantanamera song to you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember that song to tell you. Oh, uh, no, there's only one George Pegas. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I that one. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the one. That's the one. Georgie Pegas. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Carl Valentine. He, he made that up, I think. <laughs> that's a pretty good one. <laughs> there you go. So after the rush of qualifying, what was the reality of arriving in Mexico for the 86 World Cup like? Well... Just before uh, getting to Mexico, you know, um, I got cut from the third round, and 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 even though we made it to Mexico, the the team hadn't been picked, so I was just nail biting for for quite a while whether I was even going to be picked uh, picked for the team to go to Mexico because I got cut from the Olympic team also. So so I was a I was a nerve uh, nerve uh, wreck wreck for a while, and then when I got uh, I I got the okay to or 
got picked for the team. Oh, my God, my family, my parents, everybody was so happy. Tears here, tears there, you know. It was, it was quite uh, quite the, you know, emotion, emotional. I got uh, I got quite a quite a big Polish family and all that. So, and, you know, so, and then getting on that plane and knowing that you're representing Canada, being the first, uh, you know, the first team ever to ever to do it and then landing you know landing over there and then going to the club med that we uh that we stayed on a place called lacadero where where they had especially for us for soccer fields everything for training grounds eating areas oh it was it was just it was just awesome just awesome because a big inspiration to you had been the 74 World Cup in uh, in West Germany, right? And, and and to be standing on a World Cup pitch yourself must have been must have been quite, especially well, in, a, in a soccer in a soccer mad country like Mexico. A quick a quick little story in 1974, a friend of mine hitchhiked, and we went to Germany to watch the World Cup, and 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 we were in Munich. Uh, we didn't get to see the final in Munich, but. And then 12 years later, I end up playing in the World Cup, so it's, <laughs> it was pretty, pretty amazing. And 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 to be one of the players and just to represent your country when you hear that national anthem go, you know, it's 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 just amazing, just amazing. I know you were in a tough group, uh, France, who would uh, who would. I think we're finalists in 82 with with uh, Michel Platini, who was a legend, Hungary, who were good, USSR, who were always good. Um, what was it like going into those matches? What was the mood like? And, and how awesome was it to play at a World Cup, to walk out onto the field? Well, unfortunately, I didn't get to play in uh, the France game or the Hungary game, but I got uh, I got about 12 minutes in, into the, the the Soviet Union game. Uh, so just to, just to get on there, I, I, I was very disappointed after, you know, scoring a couple, uh, crucial goals, goals for, for Canada and that I thought I would have got a little bit more, more, more playing time, but, uh, in, but, but, but in the end, I, you know, I got on against the Soviet Union and, uh, and just enjoyed myself immensely. It was beautiful. Yeah, we could have used a few goals at that World Cup. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we could have used. Yeah, well, I guarantee you, at this World Cup, we're going to have lots of goals. We're going to have lots of goals. I, I, I suspect so. That '86 team could have used a Jonathan David or an Alfonso Davies. Oh yeah. Um, well, that's uh, that's one of the big differences in nowadays in soccer. Is there's so much speed and and pace and quickness involved in the game. Where we're back in the '80s, it was a little bit more, you know, rough and tough style. You know, a lot of slide tackling and you know, get stuck in sun. You know like the British used to say and you know and and at and whereas nowadays it's 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 not like that you know and you can see you know guys taking dives dives all the time you know you just touch them but but uh but Canada's got so much pace and so much depth in every position it's 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 amazing it really is yeah, it was much more dump and chase, as they would say back then. And, uh, you know, that's exactly a bit. A bit and, and certainly you see videos or, or highlights of those games in the 80s. It was definitely a much more brutal, looked like a much more brutal sport. Do you have great memories of that time now? How do you look back at, at that whole experience from 85 and being at the World Cup? I know you didn't get to play a lot, but you did get on the pitch against the Soviet Union. You did play at a World Cup and very few Canadians have ever been able yeah. to say that. Yeah, Canadian men. As an amateur to too, you know, I yeah. I went to the World Cup as an amateur player, you know, and you'd you know, um, 
some of the memories from the World Cup, like play, like Michelle Platini and uh, everybody remembers Diego Maradona. You know, he was in that World Cup. You know, and England had one of their best best World Cup teams. Uh, you know, ever too. So. You know, you know, but just to just to be part of it all, you know, put on the Canadian jersey and um, and and represent Canada is it's, it's it's and get to travel around the world. Being a footballer, you know, there there's no life like it. It it was some of my you know my best years. You know, traveling to Jamaica, China, you know, all all around the world, free. Not to mention, you know, but. And uh, and to play the play the one sport that you love and to wear the Canadian jersey. I mean, there's there's nothing better than that. You had a few souvenirs, I understand, from that World Cup that you still keep. <laughs> yeah, I got I got a whole I've got souvenirs. For some reason, when I was like ten years old, I I, I kept all my scrapbooks and stuff, and I got tons tons of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I've. I've got I've got one souvenir. I climbed up the flagpole and where we stayed in uh, Lacadero. At of course I was allowed to do that, you know. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and I got uh, I got every everybody that was involved in Mexico '86 to sign it. So it's probably the only it, well, it is the only one ever. So so <laughs> I. <laughs> I I better ensure that thing after talking to you. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so for sure. Um, a last question I was going to ask you: What advice, as a World Cup footballer, World Cup soccer player, what advice would you give um, to this to this team about about what it may be like to land there, to be surrounded by? I mean, I know a lot of players on this team play with in those big European clubs, but just the awesomeness of it and to land there. What advice do you give them about how to handle this World Cup? so they can be successful? Well, most of those players now are pros, and John Herdman's got them, got them uh, head, head savvy there, you know. They're, they've qualified for the World Cup now, you know, and they all know it, but they want to win it. Uh, in, 80, in 86, or pardon me, 85, uh, we won CONCACAF group, Canada, and we went undefeated. It would be fantastic if Canada you know, could win their next next three games there and go undefeated and win Con- CONCACAF too, you know, because those CONCACAF people know there's a, there, there's a new sheriff in town now, I'll tell you. <laughs> and just keep your heads on, do your job, you know. It wouldn't surprise me, Canada could could win the World Cup one day, I'm telling you, with the, with the talent that, you know, that that I see on the field and the spirit and now and now it feels like a like a soccer nation you know it feels yeah. like you know you look in the stands oh my god when we played in in the eighties we had like thirty five hundred people you know and five thousand people now it's like fifty thousand people it's brilliant you know George Pecos thank you so much for uh, taking us back on a on a on on a trip through memory lane back to uh, the last time Canada's men's team tasted this kind of glory. I appreciate your time tonight. Thanks, Ben. Well, this is an exciting time for my next guest. After more than a decade, Julie Black has released a new single called No Relation. She has a new long-form music project on the way. It's not like Canada's queen of R&B hasn't been busy after bursting onto the Canadian music scene in the late 90s. The Toronto-born artist racked up six top 40 hits, won a Juno Award, a bunch of Juno and much music nominations before moving into theatre, TV hosting, and much, much more. Well, she's back to music now and joining me 
is singer, songwriter, producer, actor, Juno Award winner, and recent Canada's Walk of Fame inductee, Julie Black. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I love that intro. I need that as a ringtone. <laughs> exactly. Um, congratulations on the on the new song. I mean, I know it's it's been a while. I mean, what's it like to be back? And what what was the inspiration to say I'm going to give uh, I'm going to give sort of a sing a, a new track a try? Yeah. Well, I love using the word forward um, more so than back. There's not there's no really going back anywhere. So it's nice to to move forward um, with music. And really have fun again, um, you know, especially after my mom. Like this is like pre my mom being around and then post my mom being on earth. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why I took a pause to really to really live a life, to tell a story, not to mention just really focus on who I am more so than what I've done and what I'm doing. Um, so it's nice. It's nice to, to have no pressure. It's nice to really have you know, every, every win, everybody saying they've heard it or they like it or ask me a question about it. That's a win. I'm not looking at stream. I'm not looking at likes, views, follows. In fact, I was, I've been off social media personally uh, since December. So mm-hmm. I just, you know, I have my, my, one of my really close friends who understands my voice to just handle my social media for now. And I just needed to take a mental health break. So it's nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're not alone. I mean, what's it like to be, I mean, even the music industry, and I'm, I'm not, obviously not in the music industry, but it seems to have changed so much in the past 10, 15 years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even oh since goodness. you first got into it, how do, you, how do you make sense of it all now as an artist? That's such a good question, Ben. Like a really, really good question because I, I come from an era where when I first started, it was really like, we see you, we choose you, we're going to groom you. We're going to develop you or we're going to stand behind you for albums, many, many albums. And that was the, that was kind of the, 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 the outline. And so now it's like, okay, you could, you know, put up music yourself and do all the things by yourself. So I had a hard time for, for a good, good, good amount of time where I was like, okay, so what, what are we doing? There's, I'm my publicist or I'm supposed to go on TikTok and I'm very social, very technically savvy. Like I'm not, I don't fear technology at all, but what happened was it's like, you end up spending so much time there for me, it impacted my creativity. So I'm like, I'm a songwriter, legit songwriter, but it was really, I'm like, how am I, I didn't have capacity to write these songs. Cause I was like, the screen time was next level. So, you know, now I'm at the point where I'm really sitting in gratitude and I, what really helped me a lot is the pandemic. The pandemic leveled the playing field to me. How so? It, well, did it, the, the, the pandemic didn't discriminate. Rich, poor, black, white, everybody was in the same situation. You know, whether you needed help from the government or not, whether you're isolated by yourself or you're in a full family with kids, husband, wife, everybody, but you still feel by yourself. Everybody had to, to me, I think, had to take a moment to say, huh, what is, what is life? What on earth am I here for? Uh, what's, what's my purpose here? You know, I remember there was people that would turn up their nose at people who um, sent their kids that were doing homeschooling. Oh, that's now called virtual learning. Oh, same thing. Ah, right. So that's where I was like, you know what? I took a, I took a, I was able to exhale over the past little while. So one part of it was like, okay, a lot of social media, but on the flip side, it's like, you know what? When it's all said and done, if my, my mom would say in her kind of old school Jamaican way, she'd be like, if my eyes were to close today, and I could say I'm happy with, with what my legacy would be in really bringing joy to people. Like at the end of the day, 
I know what, what I'm good at, music and speaking and, you know, being uh, kind by nature and, and very generous and meaningful, then I'm good. Tell me a bit about Thank the video, you. because I, the track is great. The video is very different um, from videos of the past, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was sort of looking over your Empowered in My Skin uh, project as well. How much, what was the message from the video? And maybe you could just describe a little bit to our listeners what the video is about and who's in it and why. Oh, my goodness. So the video is really about um, like empowering yourself think outside of the box to be, you know, I have this kind of like a bit of a Charlie's angels, you know, tribe of women that are, of you know, uh, that are all visible. And uh, as far as one scene and wrong, there's a scene where I'm on this, these glass boxes and in the boxes, it's like money, you know, like things that people think actually have value more than their humanity. And so I'm just kind of like, telling this story of of this of what i'm not going to tolerate anymore um and when i say like you know no relation for example that's entitled that's the name of the song i'm talking about i'm not relating to you know low self-worth i'm not going to relate to people anybody anybody right you're taking me away from my dignity you know it's really about rediscovering who i am more so than what i do and so there's also a scene where there's a um a, a wooden table and rather than so there's a scene where there's some you see one of the the extras amy she's building the table she's here with like tools and every woman is like the, the three dancers they have tools and the whole concept is if you don't have a seat at the table corporately in your home wherever then build your own table and so that's where we're that's where the video gets to where it's like you know, I have Sangeeta from ET Canada, with Diane Clemens, I have Tanya Kim and, you know, Jennifer Valentine and a, just a bunch of women in the media who are usually put up against each other because we work for different networks. Um, Sarah, who's a, the, the birth papaya, you know, Inka Chi, who's a, she's like a high executive at TV Bank, et cetera. A bunch of us. It's just like, hey, you know what? We're better together. We are better together. And that's the whole premise going from being by myself to having these four women help me build this table. There's even a scene where you see some statues and that's kind of, I resents like, you know, not, not becoming a projection of what somebody else thinks you're supposed to be, you know? And so continue to be agile and fluid uh, in your life, in your emotions, et cetera. So it's a fun video. We did it all in one day here in Toronto and, um, I'm very, very grateful that I was able to actually get that to happen. And I'm back with uh, Julie Black, Juno Award winning artist. I'm talking about her new song, No Relation. Also talking now a bit about uh, February is Black History Month. And um, you you put together a really interesting song list uh, to, to sort of expose listeners, if they so choose, to some of the great music that's come out of this country from Black artists over the past many years. It goes all the way back to the early 70s, I think, maybe even earlier. What was it like? choosing that list and, and what did you learn in doing it? Well, I, um, it was, I'm just grateful that they asked me to do this and shout out to Aisha Wickham for, for always creating space um, for me, especially when those, when many basically forgot about me at times. And so to put this together, um, I actually, there was a different, there's a, a kind of, there's a couple steps that I took. One was I just, I, I started with the women that, 
you know, were in my kind of like the class of. So I was like, let me pull up Divine and Melanie Fiona. And I just grabbed some names. I was like, huh, you know, if we were all to go on tour together, what would that look like? You know, that was the first thing first for me. Like, what type of tour could we do? You know, and then some of the some of the features that I was on is like the time when there wasn't an opportunity for R&B music to really thrive. I ended up on songs with Cardinal. You know, I did a song with Nas. I was on the Waving Flag, you know, remix, et cetera, with Canaan. So I went through that process as well. And I was thinking about the generation, you know, right now, you know, the, the Havaya Mighty and Savannah Ray and various artists in that way. I was like, huh, okay, let's put some of those on there. And then I was like, you know, even though I'm out in full transparency, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't educated about Liberty Silver and, you know, even, even about Salome Bay. Like I know, I knew her because I, her kids, we sang together, but I would listen to her music. And so, you know, there are certain people I was like, huh, okay, we need to make sure that we have, this is a piece, a, a legacy piece where people could actually go on and, and hear Here's some of these amazing women. And then, of course, my brothers in the game, from Socrates to Chocolaire, as I mentioned, Cardinal, you know, and then those who are doing it, those would be considered big right now. You know, The weekend is, is obviously doing its thing, not to mention Drake. We are thinking about chaos and, you know, just a lot of, lot of, um, lot of, lot of people that I think people really need to, 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 give their flowers, you know, and there's some that Ontario Creates came with, you know, they added some like, okay, would you consider this or that? I says, listen, I'm not going to say no, as long as there's room, let's put them on. You know, I did a full concert series with Nathaniel Dett Choir. And that was my first time. I spent six weeks learning, learning the Negro spirituals. And it was a full on like workshop type thing to finally do the concert. And that educated me a lot about the song, what the songs meant and how, you know, slaves would sing their way, sing their messages from plantation to plantation. So, you know, it was, it was really, really a nice experience and to put the, some reggae on there yeah. too. You know I mean? Anna McLean, et cetera. So I was grateful. Yeah. I mean, I've always thinking about this, listening to it, you know, it, there is a Canadian sound that is different from, from a British sound or, or an American sound to some extent. And it kind of comes through in that playlist and it's, and it's, and it's inspiring to think about Canada as having that, having its own sound, its own R and B sound to, to put it that way. Yeah. Thank you. And I think many don't realize that we actually have a sound, a flavor, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a there's texture, there's lived experience, uh, you know, the industry, you know, the music business has become so huge and even, you know, having such, big mega stars now to come out of Canada, black stars to come out of Canada. I think people forget that there's, there's a foundation here. Yeah. You're part of that foundation for sure. When you look at some of the, some of what's happened in the past little while, and there's, there seems to be at least a fear of a rate of, of intolerance growing as a backlash to some of what's happened in the past 10 years. Do you see that at all? Do you, do you, when you see something like a Confederate flag on parliament Hill, does it, does it, does it, what were you, does it, does it, what do you, what do you make of that? I'd rather see it than not see it. I think Canada has been, uh, you know, racism in Canada has been so overt and so subliminal and so systemic. And some people are under the impression that it doesn't even exist. Um, So I'd rather know than not know. Pull out all your flags. Let's go. Because then I, I could know how to navigate through my life and, and know, you know, where to position myself and not live in fear, but live in knowledge. 
okay, that's what it yep. is. That's what's that's what's going on. Then it's good to know. Yeah, that's a great point of view. Absolutely. Um, what next? I know that I know the back to the music because that's where we started. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that this was a uh, that no relation is the beginning of something more. What's next? Mm-hmm. Um, three, four more singles. Like the album is done. It's called Three Rocks and a Slingshot. Okay. It's an ode to David and Goliath. And I've had many Goliaths over the past, you know, 10 years uh, that I've slayed through my rocks have been resilience and love and, you know, and so many other things, making the, you know, the right decisions and standing behind them. Um, but really to be totally open and I'm really focused on the now to get me to the next. So, you know, there's been so much emphasis. I know I will say, especially in honor of Black History Month, that I'm really excited for the day when Black creatives don't have to start over every project, you know, to be able to thrive in the spaces of Blue Rodeo and Feist and Serena Ryder and Shania and Celine and Nickelback and Justin Bieber and I think Sean Mendez and the list goes on where they don't have to start over every single time. There's a gap that needs to be closed where we could have solid, sustainable careers where, you know what, we could go into project to project and then start to pull other artists in, you know, and have a true industry that is representative of what Canada is supposed to be, which is multicultural and diverse. So, you know, I'm really, really developing who I am in the now um, so that my next is really, really solid. Julie Black, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much.